This is episode number 407 with Lisa Bilyeu of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Lisa Bilyeu, today's guest, she co-founded Quest Nutrition, which grew 57,000% in its first three years. It was ranked number two in the Inc. 5000 and sold in 2014 for a billion dollars. Today, she's the co-founder of Impact Theory Studios, a digital-first studio that hosts the Impact Theory and Women of Impact podcast, which has an audience of over 7.5 million. And Lisa has more than 20 million views on her YouTube channels and more than a million followers personally on her social media. She's built an incredible empire with her partner, Tom. And uh, yeah, this is going to be an awesome interview. I'm really excited about this one. Please welcome to the podcast, Lisa Bilyeu. So the first question we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? It was completely accidental. I spent eight years of my life supporting my husband, being a stay-at-home wife. Um, I was brought up Greek Orthodox, so I definitely had the belief that I would be a fantastic supporting wife. I would cook, I would clean, and that would basically be my future. Um, And it turned out that my husband was trying to chase money to try and make movies. Um, And over time, as we all know, chasing money doesn't bring happiness. And it got to the point where I was seeing how unhappy he was. And I said, babe, like nothing can replace my husband and our relationship. So I don't care about money. I don't care that we've just spent the last eight years of you trying to get enough money for us to make movies. Something has to change. And me telling him something has to change spurred the idea of him and his business spot partners starting a protein bar company. And that little protein bar company ended up growing at 57,000%. And we went from zero to a billion dollars in five years. And I started with, I'm just going to help out my husband because I'm a good Greek wife. And what I realized was what I was actually capable of and how much I loved to be challenged every day. And so that took me into a whole life that I never expected of entrepreneurship and uh, building a studio 
and uh, creating the content that we're doing now. Yeah, amazing. And uh, yeah, you guys ended up selling that company for over a billion dollars, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, and then uh, incredible success. And then you've built this incredible media company with Tom. So um, I'm curious, just around the entrepreneurship piece, do you believe that it's in your DNA? And if so, why? I'm not sure. And to be honest, I kind of just want to say no. Like, even if I'm actually not sure, maybe it is, I really do want to say no, because I like to live in a world where I can believe anything is possible if I put my mind to it and I work hard. And so I don't want anyone right now to listen and think that they don't have it in their DNA if that's what they really want to do. Like, that shouldn't be there to stop you. Um, And so there might be certain things that are intrinsically um, I'm drawn to more possibly. But I think at the end of the day, I want to live in a world where literally if you want to be in business and you want to start your own business, it's not about if it's in your DNA or not. It's in, it's about, are you committed to it? Do you want it bad enough? And are you willing to work hard for it? So that would be my answer. (laughs) And then I guess for you, you guys, uh, you know, you and your business partners, early days quest, like how hard were you working to get that kind of growth? Oh, it was crazy hours. And, you know, back then, though, this was 2010 when we first started, I didn't understand about taking care of your health or really, you know, um, I don't want to say balance, but I went all in. And so Tom and I, we were literally just working every hour that we could. Um, Weekends weren't weekends. We were renting kitchens by the hour and we took rolling pins with the business partners and we would literally make protein bars by hand with rolling pins and knives. And it became the idea that no one's going to fight for your dreams more than you, you will. And so when you need to show up, you better show up. Otherwise, no one else is going to. So we worked very hard. We went all in. We put our house up as collateral. That was for sure a driving force, Um, you know, because every time I personally faced challenges as I was helping build the company, part of me was just like, oh, I really don't want to do this because I I, I don't feel competent enough. And every time I was like, I really don't want to do this. I'm insecure. I'm nervous. I then had the other thought that was like, okay, but you lose your house if you don't. And that actually was a beautiful lesson as I started to get on the entrepreneurship train that um, no one's there to fight for your, your, you know, your dream more than you. And you have to keep showing up. And even when you're not adequate, it's like you have to keep learning. Um, and so that really pushed me to just figure things out, even when I didn't think I was competent to figure things out. Mm. So I guess like, you guys didn't really have a choice in many ways. The mindset was it had to work. Yeah. Now, look, I want to say that knowing that we had started maybe four different or five different companies before Quest, um, small companies, we tried domain companies. We were going to buy real estate and flip it at one point. We, I started a website company where I was designing websites. So I taught myself how to do Photoshop so that I could design websites. Um, So we started many, many companies. And so I never want people to think, oh my God, they got so lucky with Quest. It's like, we just tried new things. And we were like, what are the things that we love to do? What is a life that is exciting? And what is that mission that we can work hard for? Um, And so we tried a bunch of things and Quest ended up being the thing that really did change our lives. But um, I don't want people to think that that was our, you know, we, we had many failures before that. Yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing. So um, you've recently written a book uh, called Radical Confidence. Um, uh, That's what I'd love to talk to you about. Like, what was the premise behind writing this book? And what does radical confidence mean to you? 
so many people would say to me recently over like the last few years of they've as I've stepped more in front of the camera and I have my own show women of impact it's like Lisa I just want confidence like you I want confidence like you and did you have no idea I, I would like look around and I'm like who are they talking to because surely they're not talking to me because if you hear how negative the voices in my head how negative things you can't do that Lisa who do you think you are to do that you're going to fall on your face you're going to embarrass yourself all of that is very real so when people think I'm confident, I actually had to stop and see and think, what are they seeing? And what I realized is I have radical confidence. And that just means that I'm petrified. I'm scared. Many times I'm inadequate. Many times I don't have the skill set to pull something off, but I try it anyway. Now, look, when I say try it anyway, I don't just mean like, and just go for it. Because when you've got crippling anxiety, just telling someone to go for it doesn't actually work. So what I did in the book is, I have used tools in my life of when I find myself in those moments where I'm paralyzed, what tool do I use in that moment to get me to keep moving forward? It doesn't mean to keep getting successful, just to keep moving forward so I can learn. And that's what I ended up writing the book on. It has the 10 tools. So literally each, power, each chapter, I try to take you through one tool to use that I have found useful in my life that has taken me from being that stay-at-home wife that didn't speak up for eight years because I didn't think I had the right to ask for a better life to the person that I am today, where I will fight for my life and I will fight for what I love and fight for what I'm passionate about. Um, and so that book really does take you through the chapters. And that's why I felt like it was important because I don't want it to just be like, make you feel good. Like the whole point to me is, look, you may have the negative mindset too. So this is how you deal with it. And this isn't a, so you can feel better about yourself. It was to actually get to the goal you want in life, what you want in life. So that was kind of the catalyst to the book. Yeah, fascinating. So can you tell us kind of, or give us some, give us an example of like an, a time where you might be talking like that self-negative talk and something that you've done um, to work through that? TEDx, or I should say speaking on stage was petrifying to me you know my husband he speaks on stage a lot he's so amazing and so I used to be like I'm never going to do that that is heart and heart attack inducing like why would anyone ever go on stage it's like the the bit one of the biggest fears like next to death that's how fearful going on stage is for so many of us and so I kept saying there's no way I'm going to do it and then I realized my whole goal the whole company that we built is about creating impact and so I kept saying no to all these offers of me being on stage and one time my husband came to me and he goes, you do realize you saying no to these is actually getting in your way of your goal. And he's like, no judgment, but I just want you to be very aware. That's the relationship me and my husband have. We rely on each other to be very candidly honest. And so I was like, okay, with no judgment on myself, what is actually right now more important? Feeling uncomfortable, getting on stage and being petrified, but working towards my goal of impact. That's option number one. Or option number two, not being uncomfortable, stay in the comfort zone that I'm in, not push myself and get anxiety, which is very, like, that's an okay stance to take. We shouldn't always put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. But I had to ask myself, would I rather be comfortable and not work towards my goal and get on stage and not create impact? And I just said, with no judgment, Lisa, you don't owe anyone anything. What is the thing that is most important to you? And I said, 
creating impact. So now I have my North Star. I've already established what I'm trying to do. And now I realize what's getting in my way is speaking on stage. So I had to come up with a game plan to not get in my way because the voice in my head is saying, there's no way you can do that. There's no, Tom's so much better than you. Oh my God, you're going to freeze when you get up there. You know that, right? Like this is all the voice that's telling me in my head. And so it can become crippling. And so how do I make sure, because I've already assessed that impact is my North Star, not feeling comfortable. So how do I keep moving forward? So I came up with a game plan. Step number one is how on earth do I just accept a offer? I just literally said out loud to my team, the next time someone reaches out to speak on stage, the answer is yes, don't check with me. And so the very next time someone reached out, it just happened to be TEDx. And so they said yes. And I was like, oh no, what have I done? I've just said yes to TEDx. But I committed to it. But I made a promise to myself. And I said, Lisa, you can't control other people, but you sure as hell can control yourself. And so if I've made a promise to myself, am I the person that shows up and keeps that promise? And I said, yes. So, okay, now I've got the speaking gig, but how on earth do I get on stage? Because again, there's one thing to say, we'll just get on stage. There's another thing to actually step on stage and words come out of your mouth. So I had a game plan and my game plan is what are the tools that I can use right now to give myself that motivation, to give myself that oomph. And so I turned to my jewelry. My jewelry is a very big key for me. It becomes this I like to use the words dressing for battle like Wonder Woman. And so I use that language very purposely to make things lighthearted. When I think in superhero language, it makes me feel lighthearted. So now I'm not taking myself as seriously. That's important. Number one, I wear this Wonder Woman necklace around my neck. I have actually worked hard to cultivate the meaning of what this necklace has when I put it on. So what I did is I had the necklace, I put it on and what I, I started to repeat every time I would put it on. Yeah, you're like Wonder Woman, Lisa. You got this. You're a superhero. And it's silly, but I remind myself and I repeat it over and over. And we all know repetition creates habit. And so what I ended up doing is creating a habit of myself that every time I wore my Wonder Woman necklace, I was giving myself a subliminal message. So I start doing this. I start gearing up to what, like what I'm, I'm going to wear. I've got these boots that are knee high. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast or so keep it clean. I call them. I can. Okay. So they're my bad bitch boots and I've got my bad bitch boots. Now here's the thing. I gave them that name on purpose. I had to give myself motivation. And so I was like, what if I give them this really cool name so that every time I go to put them on, I'm telling myself of some, like I'm reminding myself of something. So every time I zip up my bad bitch boots, I remind myself I'm a bad bitch. Now it may not feel like that. So I understand I'm, I'm faking and cult, not even faking, I'm cultivating an emotion so that I can get on stage because I don't feel like it. And so those are just a couple of things that I did so that I could actually get on stage. And then music is next, like to me, the top notch, put headphones in, have a hype song, know that hype song, sing your heart out if you have to, go into the bathroom and sing, like do whatever it takes. But I literally will start dancing like in the corner where everyone's looking and I don't care because I know what I'm there to do. I'm there to crush it and to get on stage. So I sat in the corner, I put my headphones on, I started listening, listening to I'm a Survivor by Destiny's Child. And it's, it just got me amped. And so I literally, as I'm walking on stage, taking my headset off and I start my speech. Now, everything that I just said comes with preparation 
of knowing what you're going to say. So I just obviously, that to me is like a given, but you have to practice. Practice, practice, practice. My favorite movie is uh, Karate Kid, Wax On, Wax Off. So my um, preparation was literally every day for like a month. I was reading my speech out loud. I was practicing in front of Tom. I was filming myself. I was recording myself so that when I finally got on stage, I knew my stuff. Mm. Yeah, look, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, I know, yeah, the, the TED the TED talks, the preparation, and there's a big audience, that would be scary, even for myself, that, that thought goes through my mind. But one thing I think that's really, really special when it comes to kind of what you were talking about is this ability to be able to even be conscious and self-aware of that self-talk. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes or oftentimes people are not conscious and they're making decisions subconsciously. So what do you do to cultivate that self-awareness even to know or even to catch yourself being like, well, I don't want to do this, but even just stepping outside of it and going, okay, but why? Or what, this isn't right? Or like, is there anything that you could share there? That's so true. I'm so glad you said that because you're 100% right. We do do that. Um, I used to do it. You don't even realize that voice is there anymore because it's become so much a part of the way that you think. Um, I started to just, and I'm going to say this a million times in this interview because it's so, but it's so powerful with no judgment. So with no judgment journal, write down all the things yesterday, let's say that you were thinking, or even maybe you, you do an hour where it's like every day for an hour or in between lunchtime, dinner, and you make notes of it. Like you have no idea how many times I would walk past the mirror and I didn't realize how much I was insulting myself. So I had to stop and because I, I had to go, where is all this? Like, why do I feel really bad about my body and the way that I look? And I was like, okay, I got teased as a kid. That's a big thing. So I'm very insecure in my looks anyway. I got teased for my nose, all of that. So then, okay, I know where it comes from, but how, why do I keep feeling it? Let me just assess. Let me just step back with no judgment and look at what I did yesterday, what I do during the day. And what I started to notice to your point is, oh my God, every time I walk by the mirror, I'm like, oh God, I hate that. Oh God, what is that hair? Oh my God. And I had no idea I was doing it. And so by assessing it with no judgment, I started to say, okay, Lisa, now what you're going to do is when you catch yourself, you're going to change that language. And every time you go to insult something, when you look in the mirror, I need you to find one thing you love and immediately switch it. Now it becomes fake, right? Because you don't feel it yet. So you walk in front of the mirror and it's like, oh God, I can't, I love my hair, (laughs) you know? And so, but you have to keep doing it again. I'm going to keep saying it like repetition creates habit. And so the first thing is being aware of it by journaling no judgment, coming up with a plan of what you're going to do on the opposite side when you notice that it happens. So that's one big key thing. Once you're self-aware, one thing that I do is I started to take that negative voice and say, what if she can be my best friend? So she's very detrimental right now to my self-esteem. She's, I call her the bitch in my head. And I was like, what if I could make her my BFF? And what would that look like? So I had to think of this negative voice. I can sometimes change her, right? I can change the words that are coming out, but sometimes I can't. And so now what do I do? And so I thought, okay, just like my husband, 
comes to me and gives me very honest advice because he knows um, he cares about me and he really wants me to do good. And so when he comes to me with advice, do I tell him to shut up? Do I tell him, hey, look, you're not being very nice. And do I only want him to say nice words to me? Or do I actually want the truth? Now, I've decided I really want the truth because I want to get better. And so I was like, what if I use that voice in my head? Is this that same thing? What if she's actually trying to give me a te- uh, point attention to things that maybe I need to show attention to? So for instance, when I first got in front of the camera, the negative voice was so insane. You're terrible, Lisa. You embarrassed yourself. You had no way to end the interview. You had no way to start the interview. What are you doing? Now, in that moment, that can become crippling. In that moment, I could have chosen to never step in front of the camera again. Now, that's my prerogative. And I gave myself the grace to look at that and see what I wanted. But once I decided I need to step in front of the camera again, I was like, how on earth am I going to do it? Because she's so crippling. Let me just listen. What if she's my bestie? Put my arm around her, give her a cup of tea, (laughs) come in and like, now let, you know, tell me what I'm doing wrong, homie. And so what I did is I literally let the voice just speak. And she was saying, you're terrible at outros, you're terrible at intros, and you twitch a lot, and you're very squeaky. And I was like, all right, she's actually right. I'm terrible at outros, and I'm terrible at intros. So first of all, I'm going to give myself the grace to be the learner. This is day one. I didn't go to school, to film school on day one, expecting to know about film. So why the hell am I stepping in front of this camera, hosting a show, thinking I'm going to be the bee's knees? The truth is, it's my first day. All right. So now I'm the learner. What do I have to learn? You didn't know how to end it. Great. How on earth do I end a show then? What if you have a tagline? All right, have a tagline. Now write a tagline on a whiteboard under your camera. So now you're not getting anxiety. How did I know I was getting anxiety? Because I started to see myself twitching right before I was ending the episode. So I was like, okay, thank you. You've actually identified why I was twitching. You've identified that I was bad at an outro. And now I've got a plan. And so the next time I went in front of the camera, I said to my negative voice, thank you, homie, for helping me. I'm now prepared. And I put that board with my one tagline under my A camera. And as I started to end the interview, I was actually relaxed because I was like, I know how to do it. I just have to read the board. And so that was how I actually then with perspective took that voice and completely changed how I was perceiving her. Yeah, this is really interesting because you look at yourself and all the work that you do with like impact theory and, and all the media brands you guys have. And I would have never thought that you're doing that much deep work on yourself to be able to, to do all the work that you do. So yeah, no, that's really fascinating. So I'd love to switch gears um, and kind of talk about the early days quest, if that's okay. Um, Of course. So when you like kind of look back, because you guys have such an incredible success story there. Like, what did you get right? I heard this from Oprah. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And that always really stuck with me because it made me realize the wax on, wax off. You never know what opportunity is going to come your way. But if you focus on getting better every day and trying new things, then there might be the opportunity that then comes and now you're prepared for it. I have to credit my husband, the marketing genius that he is. So when Quest first came out, Instagram didn't exist. It was like MySpace and Facebook was just the thing that all um, family members would use to kind of communicate with their old school friends. Do you remember back then? (laughs) So like this is uh, 2010. 
And so everyone was like, okay, we got to get, we tried this product. So A was a product that didn't exist that we needed and wanted. So if we wanted it and we needed it, we saw the potential that other people could too. So A, believing in your product. B, timing was the fact that, oh, sorry, nothing else was on the market like that. So competition didn't exist. Then timing. Tom saw the opportunity in Facebook and he was the person that while we were all trying to like, we should get a billboard and we should get like an ad printed in the daily newspaper and like, we need to get in Whole Foods. That was like our mentality. Tom was the person that was like, guys, you need to trust your community. And we didn't have the words community back then, but he's like, you have to trust your buyer. And he's like, we need our buyers to believe in us. And so what we need to do So we ended up sending out, I can't remember how much we spent, but we took a certain budget and we said, we're just going to give out free product. Now, kind of now that has become a thing, but back then you're like, what do you mean you're giving free stuff? And he's like, trust me, if we believe in this product, all we need is to send it to people and then have their honest feedback. So we would ship out all these free, free product to all these influencers. We didn't have the word influencer back then either. It was the person that knew the most in the nutrition space. Um, and we would just send out this product. And we did this little letter that said, if you like this product, please speak about us. If you hate this product, please speak about us. And so that was the first time people were like, what? They want us to like actually say if it, that we hate it. So that was one thing. The second thing is we were just committed to evangelizing our customers. It never was about the quest bar, even impact theory. It's not about our company. It's about the people that watch our content and the lives, the changing that they're making. And that's what we did with quest. It was not, look how amazing our product is. We said, Hey, tell us your story. And that was back when people weren't talking about, you know, being very vulnerable and talking about their stories in public. So we were taking these people, we were taking people from the anorexic community who had never loved calories and had always seen them in a negative light. And we were sharing their stories of how Quest Spas, you know, helped them get on their journey. And we spoke about their journey, but the product being the facilitator. And so we've used that idea, that mind frame that, you know, as we built all our companies where it's not about me and Tom, it's not about our company. It's about the people we serve and how do we highlight them? So it was a whole combination of doing new things, trying new things, evangelizing the customer, thinking outside the box. Um, and so we still do that now. And it's like, what is that new thinking outside the box in today's world? And so that's how Tom and I think every time we, um, we kind of assess our company and our OKRs and our goals um, every quarterly, if not every, you know, every month, we kind of look at what we're doing and are we serving our community? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, cool to hear you guys do OKRs. We just started implementing them this year. <laughs> Steep learning curve and we're getting there. <laughs> oh my God. It's a part of the business I personally don't enjoy. Um, but OKRs and KPIs are just like, oh God, like, it, it sucks the the spirit out of things but here's the thing it's so important it's so important to make sure that you're you know you're actually fulfilling the goals and the you know the things that you've set that you're actually reaching them because I can definitely personally get very caught up in my emotion of how I feel about the things that I'm doing um so I have to kind of I switch the two hats between the business hat and then the creative hat 
Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. I'd also love to know kind of, challenge points or lowest moments in that journey at Quest? The challenge points, and these are the fun lessons that like looking back now, and I'm sure you know this, right? And have this where you're like in the moment, it literally feels like the world is crashing down around you. And then years later, you're like, oh my God, that was the most beautiful experience I'd ever had. And thank God that happened because it taught me so much. So the one that comes to mind is it was early days of Quest every penny makes a difference, right? So it's like, you've got to make sure your money's going the right place. We'd hired, I think, three people at this point. So um, we were in, I was doing shipping, Tom was running marketing. We had a, I think our marketing manager, um, a customer, a service manager, sorry, worked for us. So we were tiny and we hired three people to make the bars because now, oh my God, we're doing so well. We don't have to make them ourselves. And so one day one of the guys comes in and he's got this ghost look on his face and he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And we're like, what happened? He's like, I've just messed up a batch. Now for me, I'm panicking because a batch is like $5,000. $5,000 is like most of your year's budget at this point. And you're like, Oh my God, like, what are we going to do? I start to panic. I start to freak out internally. Tom gets up and he's like, let's just see what we've got before we panic. So we walk in and he's like, all right, explain what happened. The guy's like, I was making a peanut butter batch. I put in the peanut butter flour. I put in the peanut butter protein powder. I put in all the, like all the things that I needed to the nuts. He's like, and then I grabbed the flavoring from the next batch of bars that I was making, which was mixed berry. And I put the mixed berry flavoring in the peanut butter batch. And he's like, I need to try it. And we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So Tom's like, look, before we panic, just try it. So we're like all holding our breath and we take a bite. And someone says, it tastes like PB&J. And in that moment, we're like, what if we blasted this out and said, it's a prototype. And so immediately we get them all wrapped in plain paper or in plain wrappers. We print on my Staples printer, the nutrition information from the peanut butter batch, because the only thing that was different was the flavoring. So the nutrition value was still the same. You can't legally sell a nutrition product without the nutritional value. So, um, so we put literally print out a bunch. We do a blast on Facebook and we're like, we've got 200 boxes, prototype, exclusivity, you know, only 200. We sold out like that. And then within like a week, Everyone was blasting on Facebook. Oh my God, I love this flavor. This flavor is so amazing. All the people that didn't get a chance to buy the PB&J were now having major FOMO because they're like, I want to try this flavor. What do you mean? How, how do I get my hands on it? Within a month, we do designs, we print wrappers, we start selling it and it becomes our number one protein bar flavor on the market. And that was one of the most 
in the moment, I literally thought, is our company about to go down? Like, did we just lose my house because we just messed up a batch to the fact that failures are sometimes the most amazing opportunities? What a great story. Um, so take us back also to 2014, because I, I, I'd love to hear about, um, you know, your personal brand, impact theory, women of impact, and, and everything you guys are doing there. But um, last question on the quest journey around 2014, can you take us through kind of when did you know it was time to sell? What did that process and timeline look like? So we only sold a, sold a small portion of the company in 2014. And then we um, sold the whole company. Um, it was like right before COVID. You'd think I'd kind of know the dates, but everything kind of blends in right now. Um, so what would happen, what happened is, and I don't know how many people know this, and this was my learning. Um, it was like, we were still driving a really crappy car. It had a hole in the exhaust. We still lived in the same house that we put up for collateral and Quest was announced as a billion dollar company. And so the, the difference between what the outside world perceived the company to be and then actually what we were putting in our pockets was very different. So we realized, you know what? All you need, sadly, is someone to choke on your bar and die. And like your company might shut down. Like it's a horrible thinking. It's horrible. And it's petrifying to think. But when you're talking about food product, you never know. I mean, look at how COVID ended up impacting so many companies. So sometimes you never know what's going to happen in the world and what's going to happen to your company. So we realized in that moment in 2014, if we don't sell a small portion, you never know what's going to happen. So we ended up selling a small portion of the company. We split it between our um, all the business partners. And so that allowed us with some comfort. And Tom and I, we just said, you know, you never know if you're going to make it ever another penny. So this is amazing. Let's like, you know, live the life that we really want with a small portion and just assume you never know what's going to happen with Quest, but put your heart and soul into it. Now, what ended up happening was as sometimes sadly things happen as companies grow the vision of the company ends up adapting and changing and so for tom and i we our background was filmmaking content creation i went to film school tom went to film school so as quest was doing so amazing i started to build out our studio because we started to really believe and you're nodding because you were on our show i'm so excited on inside quest and so we started to realize if we really want to create real freaking impact we can't ignore the mind We've done so well on the body. Everything we've done has really helped people with the body. But someone like my mom, who is severely overweight and believes at the age of 70, she can't do anything about it. I was like, we have to address the mindset. And so because our background was content, Tom really wanted to impact people on a global scale. So he was like, babe, what if we start a studio inside the company? We'll do a show. You were on the show. That's how we first met. Um, and over time, we started to realize this was really where our heart was. And that just didn't align with all the business partners and where the company wanted to go. So Tom and I very graciously said, you know what, let's just take the money that we have. Let's spin the studio off into its own entity because we, it was important to us to really fulfill who we wanted to be. And for us to ignore the mind just didn't compute with who we wanted to be. So we started, we took the studio and we originally was just going to build the studio. Um, we were going to find a space to do it, but we had a, um, a guest boat who was Michael Strahan. And so we're like, oh my God, we have to scramble. We have to do the set. We have to do the studio. Let's just put it in our house. It will just be temporary. So 
we put it in our house and it didn't end up being temporary. And so we ended up having impact theory in our house for five years. And we had like 25 employees come to our house every single day. Um, but that was the life we chose. And every time, you know, it, it was like, do it. Like I've got 25 people in my house. I was like, no, I chose this life. And that was a beautiful thing and a beautiful time in our lives where we were built in the company. And um, yeah, and then that's kind of how we've gotten to here. And me building my own show, going back to impact, which I said earlier about how I um, processed, should I step in front of the camera? Um, and then writing the book. That's kind of, you know, the, the full circle of, I got an offer to write a book. And the very first words out of my mouth was, who would buy a book from me? Um, the negative voice, right? It just keeps coming back. And I didn't, um, I didn't like shame myself for it. And it's like, oh, the insecure Lisa is still there. I gave myself grace for having the negative thought. And then um, I just said, does this align with my mission in life? And the answer was yes. And so I wrote the book and here we are. Yeah, wow. What a great story. So I'm curious, let's delve deeper on, you know, impact theory, women of impact, your personal brand. So you guys have built like a, a really large um, audience and media empire, what you're building. It's really impressive at the speed of which you guys have grown that. I'm curious, like, what do you think you guys are doing differently that has attracted such a large audience? Number one, both in Tom and I, and I don't want to say that other people aren't. So I'll just give you what Tom and I did and not insinuate anything else on other people. But we just went all in and we sat down and we said, what does this look like? What does all in mean? Um, and it means letting people in your house at seven in the morning. Literally, Tom would wake up, he would go down, he would unlock the door. And we've got guys that work for our company that's so freaking excited and motivated. They would sit outside our house at seven in the morning waiting for Tom to unlock. So it meant having a culture, having a company where we would greet people, we would open up our house and we would literally shut it at nine o'clock at night as we're going to bed. So I would joke that I had a great one bedroom apartment in a big house. Um, but we decided that that's what it was going to take for us to really, um, go all in. Another thing was we just thought slightly differently in like, what is the Tom version of it? You know? And so in the motivational space, you have Tom who swears a lot, um, you know, and so he can be very intense. And so we were just like, what's the version of us that we want to really create impact on? What does that look like instead of trying to be like other people? And we have a film background. So I love content. So I wasn't going to be the person that was going to throw up an iPhone. Not that there's anything wrong with shoot. Like if that's what you've got, you should do it. But I love content. And so I said to Tom, we, like, we should have a studio and we need cameras and we need a team. And so we took it very seriously, like the production level of it. And at the time, no one was doing that on YouTube. No one. It was literally all kids with handheld cameras, vlogs, and that was it. So when we came in, we were doing television style quality content with this guy that's kind of weird and odd and swears and he's built this company, but now he's talking about wanting to be Disney and talks about the matrix and, you know, and like, he's just got all these weird analogies, but he was himself. And so I think that allowed us to stand out. We were doing long form content, which back then people weren't doing on YouTube. It was like, what do you mean you're doing an hour show on YouTube? You're nuts. Like no one will watch an hour video. Um, and so we just thought outside the box. And that kind of, I think those combinations of always then being true to who we are and not trying to be like everyone else, that's a massive key as well. So you have your show, Women of Impact. You've had a lot of incredible conversations. I'm going to ask you this question. People always ask me and I always struggle. 
Who's been your favorite yeah. so far? Who's impacted me the most so far? Well, who's, yeah, yeah. Like what you said, there's been so many. And so the truth is, I made a commitment to myself. So when COVID first hit, I was always doing just Zoom interviews and I love doing in person. And it was just Zoom, just Zoom, just Zoom. And over time, I started to feel a little disconnected. And then there was a lot of pressure about like, no, you have to have this person, you have to have this person on. And so I started to realize that I wasn't working towards my North Star anymore and what felt authentic to me. And so I had to step back and I had to say, all right, Lisa, you're going to keep doing this as long as you're having fun. And you need to keep doing it as long as you're learning. Make that your North Star. Stop trying to please everyone. Make that your North Star and keep going and give yourself a timeline. And so I gave myself six months and I said, I'm going to just ask the people that I really want to interview. I'm going to ask them to come in person. I'll obviously do the COVID test. And obviously that was very difficult, but, and then just see if you're having fun. And once I started to pivot, I started to realize how much I love what I do. And so now my answer to your question is it is almost the last person that I had on my show because I've just learned something new I've just grown for them and I I try to cultivate that idea as well because I never want to have or be uh, pretend to ever have someone on my show that I'm not interested in I can't do that that's not right for my audience and if I can't be authentic how on earth can I sit there and tell my audience to be authentic so the last person I just had on my show was someone called Julia Hart I don't know if you know who she is but she just, um, she's got the show My Unorthodox Life on Netflix. And she came from, for 40 years of her life, she lived in an extremely hardcore fundamentalist um, upbringing. And she talks about her own journey and um, how hard it was for her to be considered a sec- as a woman, a second class citizen. She wasn't allowed to dance or sing in front of a man um, because her religion doesn't allow her to. The walls are, are holy, so she was never allowed to ever be naked, even to herself. Um, anyway, her story is insane. And she realized she managed to get out. She still believes in her Jewish religion, but she no longer is a fundamentalist. And she had zero experience. She wasn't allowed to read because women aren't supposed to have knowledge. That's how extreme it was. And she left and started a shoe company, not knowing anything. And she built it into a million dollar, like multi-million dollar company. She got her shoes in Harrods. She then sold that company and then started a clothing company. She realized that lace, um, women love lace, but it's too hard. So she went to the fabric company who had been around for a hundred years and gave them advice on what to do with their lace. And they said, bless. And they patted her on the back on the head. Like you're a little girl. You have no idea what you're saying, but she didn't give up and she kept pushing. And what ended up happening was that same lace company called her three months later and said, thank you actually saved our company because now there's a new with that way that we do lace that we never knew existed. And she's, so when you want to know about someone that's inspired me, I just had her on. And it's like, it's so mind blowing, blowing what, what we as humans can accomplish. And what type of transformation we can go through to be in your 40s and believe that wearing pants, you're going to, you know, like, obviously I don't want to get religious on this, on this interview, but like the things that she, how restricted she was and how much she was treated like a second class citizen to now where she is in life is so beautiful. And it's just a reminder 
of where we can go and who we are today is not a reflection of who we can become. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I have to ask you, like, because you're interviewing so many people, because you're learning so much, do you find it hard to kind of, you get so much inspiration, ideas, creativity flowing, but it's hard to kind of go out, implement, chat, make those changes? Do you find that difficult? I don't now because I I used to, because I used to be open in my own head, but I'm so, because of that, I needed tools and strategies to help keep me, you know, on the path. And it really is, what is the thing I'm working on now? What is that skill set? And how on earth do I cultivate that? And where am I trying to get to? So it, I find myself in each quarter, like for instance, writing a book, I had no idea how to write the book. And so I had to say, how am I going to approach writing a book? What are the steps I'm going to take in order to do it? And so I would phone my friends and I would phone all these amazing people who have got New York Times number ones. And I made sure that I didn't get overwhelmed because to your point, you've got one person telling you something over here, you've got one other person telling you over here. And like, oh my God, that's exciting. And now you're like, but I don't know which way to turn. And sometimes that can be paralyzing. And so I went in it with a very specific agenda. And so I was like, I need, I need to know, all the pitfalls that I'm about to face, right? And now ask the same questions. And so I asked all the same questions to all the same people and they had very different answers. And so now I just took their answer and I said, how would Lisa be in this situation? They've told me their pitfalls. Am I worried about that? Actually, no. That might be their worry or their pitfall, but I don't actually worry about that myself. So now I'll go into the next thing. And I really do assess all these tips and all these strategies that people give me and go, well, if I'm writing a book, does this serve me writing a book? Yes or no? Because I've got my North star and I can't have two North stars. And so I know what I'm working towards. So when I'm working on the book, what skill set do I need? What is the advice I can use? And how do I get better? Now that I've written the book, the next stage was how on earth do I promote the book? So I phoned up a bunch of my friends and I was like, what do I need to practice? What are the things I need? And so many people gave me so many different pieces of advice. And so I took them to heart. I wrote them down and said, which is the one that feels authentic and real to me? Because this advice that this person gave me, while it's real to them, that feels fake to me. And I can't show up and do that. That doesn't feel right. And so I just assess instead of getting my, in my own head. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. So look, I'm conscious of time. We have to work towards wrapping up. A uh, few more questions. One, where's the best place people can find out about this new book, Radical Confidence? Yeah, go to radicalconfidence.com. You can get the book. There's a bunch of bonuses. Right now I have a um, nine-class coaching session that I'm giving for free. Um, so they can get that immediately if they pre-order the book, but radicalconfidence.com. Awesome. And uh, now we're going to move to the rapid fire round where I'm going to ask uh, you a few questions. Okay. I'm not very good at rapid fire. You may tell that I've got a lot of words I can say. Yeah. I'm trying. All right, let, let's give it a go. Uh, <laughs> what's the one thing you miss from the early days? I don't think I miss anything. And I think the reason being, sorry, I'm going to give a caveat here. The reason being is I'm always forward facing. And so if there's something in the past, I like to think that, well, how do I replicate that and keep that in my life? If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oprah Winfrey. She's changed the game for women. She shows what's possible. She isn't just a host. She's an entrepreneur. She serves people. She decided not to have children like I did so that she could serve the world. So, yeah, Oprah. If you could go back in time 
and give yourself one piece of advice on day one of starting your business, uh, so Quest, uh, what would it be and why? Failure is the best opportunity and you can get back up. And the reason being is I used to think failure dictated who I was. It had, you know, like it just meant, oh, well, if I fail, then I must be terrible. What's one thing that you've learned today? How wonderful you are. <laughs> like over, I, I've forgotten. Like obviously we met a long time ago, but being here on the call, I've forgotten how wonderful you are. <laughs> oh, you're too kind. There you go. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap there. That's everything. This was great. Thank you so much for your time, Lisa. It was awesome. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.